tossing and turning all night like a salad, it's time to put those sleepless nights to bed for good. Enter Tanasi, my sleep saviors, and they have science to back up their sleep, anxiety, and pain-relieving powers. Back in 2016, they invested a $2.5 million grant to Middle Tennessee State University to study the hemp plant. Turns out their special patent-pending CBD-CBDA formula is twice as effective as CBD alone and can be more effective than over-the-counter ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and aspirin. So if you're tired of tossing and turning like a rotisserie chicken, then Tanasi's got your back with their range of great products from tinctures to gummies to lotions. Tanasi is my go-to when I can't sleep or I have way too much anxiety. I'm so glad that I discovered them. So go to Tanasi.com and use the code POWER to get 25% off your order. That's Tanasi.com, T-A-N-A-S-I, to get 25% off your first order with the promo code POWER. Are you tired of your digestive system feeling like a circus act gone wrong? Introducing Ritual's 3-in-1 Gut Superhero Symbiotic Plus. A probiotic, prebiotic, and postbiotic all rolled into one. And with 25% off with the code POWER, there's no better time to check out Ritual. Let's break it down. Probiotics are like the cool kids at the gut party, keeping everything in check and making sure the good vibes are flowing. Prebiotics are their wingmen, fueling the party with all the right snacks to keep the good bacteria thriving. And postbiotics, well, they're like the cleanup crew, sweeping away the mess and leaving your gut feeling fresh and fabulous. So say goodbye to the gut drama and remember, there's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com power. Sober Powered is sponsored by BetterHelp. I was a stress drinker, and I thought, if only I didn't have so much stress, I wouldn't have to drink this much. But do you know why I had all this stress? Because I didn't have the skills to take stressors off my plate, so they built up and wore me down. Some stressors are big and others are small, but carrying around 25 minor annoyances is going to have an impact on you. Plus, did you know that alcohol messes with our stress response system and decreases our ability to handle stress? It makes small things seem like a much bigger deal. Learning how to manage stress and take things off my plate has changed my life. I'm calm, I'm less reactive, and I believe that I can handle whatever comes my way. I feel proud of the way that I handle things now. You can get there too. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com sober to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash sober. I'm Jill, and I'm a sober scientist who talks about the science and psychology of addiction. There are a lot of things that influence developing an addiction, and none of them are that we're weak-willed losers. In the Sober Powered Podcast, you'll learn how and why addiction develops, how alcohol changes the brain to keep us drinking, and most importantly, that you're not alone. The things you experience are experienced by many of us.
Welcome back to the Sober Powered Podcast. Today, I'm going to talk about stress and cravings. I'll explain how alcohol changes our stress response and hormones. You'll learn how alcohol impacts our cortisol levels, how this impacts our cravings for alcohol, and what this means for people trying to stay sober. You know, I love when things connect, and you'll see at the end of this episode how this topic connects to a lot of other things we've discussed on this podcast. So let's dig in. Stress hormones are released in small amounts throughout the day, rising in the morning and then falling by bedtime. Cortisol has a diurnal pattern, meaning how cortisol levels increase in the second half of the night, peaking in the early morning, and slowly decrease throughout the day, hitting the lowest point in the first half of sleep. Heavy drinking disrupts this by increasing cortisol levels and preventing them from declining normally. So this has the potential to mess with our sleep too. The hypothalamus releases corticotropin-releasing hormone and sends this to the pituitary gland, which causes the pituitary gland to release adrenocorticotropic hormone, activating the adrenal glands, and then the adrenal glands secrete cortisol. When we experience mild stress, cortisol travels to the brain and then it inhibits the release of corticotropin-releasing hormone and adrenocorticotropic hormones, allowing them to return to normal levels and reducing the amount of cortisol that's released. So I just said a lot of big words, but what I mean is it's like a feedback loop. So cortisol is not just released permanently. When enough cortisol is released, it inhibits the release of the hormones earlier in the pathway that allow for the release of more cortisol. But if the stress is really intense, then stress signals in the brain overpower this inhibitory signal from cortisol, and then the cortisol levels keep building. So with normal stress, you feel stress, and then the release of cortisol sends feedback to your brain that we don't need any more cortisol, and then you calm down. But with very intense stress, cortisol just keeps building. So studies have shown that alcohol changes the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, or the HPA axis, and this is the hormone system that leads to the release of cortisol. So all of those big words that I just mentioned were all hormones that are released by the hypothalamus and the pituitary gland. So it's thought that either alcohol is affecting the liver's ability to metabolize cortisol or it's directly affecting the HPA axis in the brain, preventing that inhibitory response from cortisol to work correctly. An excess cortisol is related to high blood pressure, reduced immune function, and altered metabolism. A 2008 study looked at saliva cortisol levels and found that heavy drinkers had increased cortisol levels and had a blunted decline in cortisol throughout the day. So they found that this effect was stronger in women than it was in men because we know from previous episodes that alcohol affects men and women differently. So for men, the units of alcohol per week had the most impact on raised cortisol levels. But for women, it was units per week, how often they drank, and how much they drank in one sitting that all had an impact on raising cortisol levels. 
So women don't process alcohol as efficiently as men do, and they may have more alcohol-induced changes to the brain, resulting in things like anxiety, and women are much more likely to have negative health consequences compared to men. So this makes sense that compared to men, alcohol affects a woman's cortisol levels much more. A 2011 study from Concordia University looked at behavioral problems in teens and cortisol levels. So this doesn't relate to us specifically, but you'll understand in a moment why I'm mentioning it. So they found a link between teens who developed anxiety and depression and cortisol. Kids who developed these symptoms earlier had abnormally low levels of cortisol. And the researchers concluded that cortisol increases when we first encounter a stressor, but declines if we experience the same stressor for an extended amount of time. It's like adaptation, which we've talked about a lot on this podcast, specifically in the episodes in the early 60s, so check those out if you haven't yet. So these researchers compared it to seeing a bear in your backyard every day. It's a bit extreme, but it makes sense, I promise. So the first time you see the bear, stress levels and cortisol increase a lot, and you probably will experience a fight or flight reaction because you're afraid for your life. But if you see the same bear in your backyard every single day, you're going to stop responding to it. And that's when cortisol levels would become abnormally low. So that's what I mean when I say a blunted response. So high levels of cortisol over a long period of time are linked to a lot of different physical and mental health problems, which we talked a lot about in episode 40 when I discussed anger. So to protect itself from these issues, the body shuts down or decreases the cortisol system. So it's an adaptation to just constant high levels of stress that your body gets used to it and adapts. Elevated cortisol changes the way that neurons send signals by making neurons more active. So when the brain is overly excited, it shows up as anxiety or restlessness, which we know that drinking temporarily fixes. So we drink to relieve stress and anxiety, but heavy drinking disrupts the body's ability to manage cortisol, making us feel even more stressed and negatively impacting our health. This is generally what happens when we drink to attempt to manage something. The drinking will just make it worse. Stress and the way that the body responds to stress also has an impact on cravings. So craving is a compulsive motivational state that drives us to seek out a reward or to reduce distress and negative emotions. It's defined as an intense urge or an abnormal longing, which is important to recognize. So people who can naturally moderate their drinking do not have intense urges to drink. The kind of cravings that we experience are intense and abnormal, so we're not supposed to feel that way. So I like that it's defined with the word abnormal, and it's not in a means to make you feel bad about yourself. It just means that people who can drink and move on with their lives do not experience these things. So it's a signal that if you experience intense cravings for alcohol, that means you are not someone who should be drinking alcohol. 
Studies have found that people with alcohol use disorder who were sober for four weeks had blunted cortisol responses compared to social drinkers. So one 2011 study looked at adrenal sensitivity and relapse. So the sensitivity of the adrenal glands to release cortisol is measured by the ratio of morning fasting cortisol levels to adrenocorticotropic hormone which is the hormone that stimulates the adrenals to release cortisol. So this study found that alcohol-dependent people had a high cortisol to adrenocorticotropic hormone and were much more likely to relapse after leaving treatment than alcohol-dependent people with a lower ratio. So they found that elevated morning cortisol compared to the ACTH hormone more than doubled the risk of relapse. So the reason for this is because hyperactivity of our stress response is associated with a blunted response to stress and alcohol cues and an increase in cravings, which obviously makes it easier to relapse. The increased cravings are thought to occur because high levels of alcohol will normalize our stress response system. So we're drinking to bring ourselves back to baseline. So this study could be used to identify patients who need extra support and the ones that are more at risk for relapse based on their cortisol levels. So this is where it gets more interesting. I love this next study that I'm going to talk about. And then I'll explain how this connects to like all the other things that we've talked about. It's really cool. A 2019 study published in Addiction Biology looked at binge drinkers and heavy drinkers in one group compared to social drinkers who drank moderately. So they used discrete alcohol cues, which we've talked about before. So those would be things that we see in daily life that we don't even consciously realize are about alcohol, but they still trigger a craving. So in an experimental setting, this would be something like a quick, less than one second flash of an alcohol cue, something that's too quick for you to notice and like register in your mind. So in this experiment, they used a quick image of a tray of two 12 ounce beer mugs filled with chilled beer and a glass of water with ice. So after that, the participants were told there are two glasses in front of you, each containing beer. You are to taste each beer and tell us whether you think they are the same or different. You can drink as much as you need to make your decision. If you are correct, you will be paid $10. You have 10 minutes to decide. Both glasses actually contained Bud Light, but that wasn't the point. The researchers wanted to measure how much alcohol the participants drank to make the decision. So they had a neutral condition um, where nothing was stimulated before the test. They had a condition where they flashed the alcohol cue before the test, and then they had another condition where they increased the stress levels of the participants and then did the test. So I'm going to call the binge and heavy drinker group just the problem drinkers from now on because it's easier. So the problem drinkers consumed about 400 mils of beer. And for reference, one beer bottle contains 330 milliliters of beer. The moderate drinkers only consumed about 275 mils of beer to make the decision. 
So they found that stress in combination with discrete cues caused increases in cravings in the problem drinker group and not in the moderate drinker group. The problem drinkers also had blunted cortisol responses compared to the moderate drinkers. And they also found something really interesting about what happens after the drinking is over. The problem drinkers had a rise in cortisol after drinking that was associated with more cravings. So they concluded that craving and disrupted cortisol response to stress and alcohol cues were associated with increased alcohol intake. So if your stress system is messed up, you are more likely to drink more alcohol than other people, which obviously puts you at risk for developing a problem. So the differences in cravings in response to stress and discrete cues suggest that stress and discrete cues have a greater impact on the problem drinkers than on the moderate drinkers. So they were exposed to the same conditions, but the problem drinkers ended up having more cravings. So there's a phenomenon called neuroendocrine tolerance. So we've talked a lot about tolerance before, and our endocrine system is our hormone system. So this kind of tolerance represents hormone changes from alcohol abuse. So like with any other tolerance, it requires more alcohol to get the same effect. So because our cortisol system changes in response to all the alcohol we drink, we need to drink more and more alcohol to bring our cortisol levels back to baseline. And moderate drinkers who don't abuse alcohol would not develop this tolerance. Something else really important that this study found was that the problem drinkers consumed more alcohol, obviously, but that their cravings remained significantly higher and dropped much less than the moderate drinkers over time, even when there was no more alcohol to drink. So they found that the more alcohol the problem drinkers consumed in one session, the higher their craving levels remained, and this relationship did not exist for the moderate drinkers. So you drink more alcohol and then you crave even more alcohol. It sucks. One of my favorite parts of this study is this sentence. Thus, alcohol intake appeared to satiate the moderate drinkers, but not the problem drinkers. Because that's what it's all about. Alcohol doesn't satisfy us like it does other people. And that's why we can never moderate our drinking. Maybe you have the power to occasionally stop drinking once you start. But you can never change what satisfies you. We think that the solution is having one or two drinks and stopping, but that involves high levels of stress, cravings, rules, constantly thinking about it, and exerting a ton of effort. None of that is satisfying. I had two drinks when my husband and I would share a bottle of wine, and then there was no more alcohol in the house. I was not satisfied at all. I felt like it was a complete waste of time and I should have just had none so I could at least be proud of myself. And how can I change that? You can't change what satisfies you. So not to go off on a rant about moderation, but please consider my perspective here if you are still struggling with this and thinking that maybe someday in the future you'll be able to moderate your drinking. As for stress, just like our body forms a tolerance and our neurotransmitter system forms a tolerance that makes us require more alcohol to feel the effects like relaxation, 
Our endocrine system can also form a tolerance. When we don't have alcohol, our stress system is messed up and our body sends us cravings because it knows that alcohol will normalize our stress hormones. Just like you have increased anxiety when you stop drinking and your body craves alcohol because it knows it will relax you and put everything back into balance. I hope that you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. This was so fun to record. I was super passionate about this one. I just love when things connect. I think it's so exciting. So in the show notes, I'm going to start listing other episodes that you might be interested in if you enjoyed this episode or ones that I referenced during the episode. So make sure to check that out. And if you're enjoying this podcast, the best thing that you can do to say thank you for all of this information is to share it with somebody that you know it will help them share it in a Facebook group where you know it will help people or share it in your stories anything that we can do to get this information out there because most people don't know this stuff and this could be the episode that helps someone let go of their pursuit of moderation I really appreciate your support as always and I will talk to you next week I'm Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of how to's for navigating all the things sober from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories and they're all so, so inspiring. I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.